Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Shredded Ed, Cardio Johnny, Paul C, Matt Mork Super Troll, and Brazil Hadley. The best infotainment show around where you'll hear us joke, banter, and debunk all the nutritional myths you've heard time and time again, helping you get fit, healthy, and shredded. Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number 46. And uh, for those that are listening, I did say 55 last week. So, Ed, um, we should have put a bet on, and I would then owe you some money. But so, in that respect, maybe I shouldn't have put a bet on. But yep, episode 46. So, uh, today we have Matthew Morgan. Hello, mate. Mate, how are you doing? I am fine and dandy. How are you? Yeah, good. Had the day off today, so it was sunny for once. You had the day off? Oh. Yeah. I know, lucky me, sat outside all day. Mm. Very lucky, very lucky. Okay, so what do you yeah. do? Just sit in the sun? Pretty much. Well, um, Charlotte finished work early, so we went to the pub just for a, a large Coke Zero, going wild. She had a couple of glasses of wine, and then I'm pretty sure she's now asleep. So. What, so you didn't have a full fat Coke? No, no. Is, is that influenced by last week's episode? Yeah, I, I can't afford the sugar tax on it. Yeah, absolutely. No one can. All the, all the dental bill. No, exactly. Mm, okay. Well, how's uh, how's how's prep life? It's okay. Um, a few wobbles this week, as I think I said, but yeah, pretty much on a straight and narrow. So, uh, looking forward to joining you guys next weekend. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously you've got a bit longer because this is uh, just an early test one for you, isn't it? So, it um, is, yeah. I would like to say it's only over in eight days or whatever it is but unfortunately for you mate it's not so i carry on yes. shall we uh shall we introduce our guest today yes yes so forgive our ramblings but we do have a, a super special guest today so hello pippa hello thank you for having me on oh you're welcome i was wondering if you were there then for a second i thought oh don't tell me she's gone yeah and they have were you, what, skype difficulties oh i was I'm gonna say for now own up you're on mute right yeah, we've done that a few times. Start talking, say, start, oh, start talking, and you're on mute. Yeah, I say, own up, you're on yeah. mute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, how are you? Yeah, good. I good. also have been milking the sun today. Um, in theory, working from home, but actually mainly just lying in the garden. Oh wow! So pretty proud of myself. H- how is it? I'm the only one that wasn't out in the sun today. Although I did go for a little walk at lunchtime, but um. Yeah, how come I was the only one not? That's unfair. It's probably it's probably best you're not out in the sun. You're not without a hat on, mate. We've already we've talked about this. Need the vitamin D. <laughs> you know, don't wear sunscreen or hats or cover up. So, to be fair, I've actually had it okay the last few days because I've been out travelling around. Obviously, met our uh, our esteemed colleague Jonathan on uh, Monday night. I want to say Monday night. Yeah, it must be Monday night. Monday night in um, sunny Cowbridge near where is it near well basically in wales that's all the same isn't it yeah pretty much sunny on monday no but but no no just that it was sunny wednesday i was getting to that point it's just it's more obviously i've been well i've been i've been all over the place this week obviously i've been to cardiff uh well i say all the place cardiff and then gloucester and then birmingham so um not all over the place yeah, it was nice in Birmingham. Though. It was a very, very lovely day, so I did get a bit of sun then. But no, not today, unfortunately. But um, so, Pippa, um, 
just for those that don't know anything about you then, let's let's hear about you and your story. Yeah, so I am currently running a Kickstarter campaign, mainly due to the fact that this time last year I had just had a double lung transplant. So I was born with cystic fibrosis um, and I've had that my whole life, but have been pretty well until about a year before my transplant um, and then got pretty ill pretty quickly, spent quite a lot of time in hospital um, and then was lucky enough to find a donor or have, have a donor found for me and have a transplant that meant that I am still kicking about today. Um, because of that, I decided I wanted to do something to kind of raise awareness and also basically the the background for the Kickstarter is the fact that when you have a transplant, you become immune suppressed. So there are a whole load of foods you can't eat and they pretty quickly tell you all about them. I was still in intensive care when they produced a list of about 20 ingredients that I would no longer ever be able to touch and another list about all the food preparation steps I should take and the ways I should be careful and as someone who'd kind of always really enjoyed food and kind of never had to particularly worry about that type of stuff it was pretty daunting Mm. um I'm not very very patient and I don't like not being able to do what I want to do so I decided to try and do something about it and so I'm trying to create a cookbook for people who are immune suppressed so not just people who are who have had transplants but also people who are undergoing chemo people with Crohn's people with rheumatoid arthritis so there's a whole load of people out there who are immune suppressed and are advised to follow the kind of same diet as I am Mm. wow okay that's uh yeah I mean I don't know I don't know what obviously kind of in terms of history um I suppose maybe just give us a bit of a flavor of kind of what it was what it was really like dealing with I suppose like the cystic fibrosis then and I get I guess also yeah. having the lung transplants does that pretty much cure it I don't know if you I mean obviously Matt with so, Sorry, go on. yeah so technically you you still have cystic fibrosis because cystic fibrosis affects your pancreas and your lungs so although my lungs are no longer mine and so they no longer have cystic fibrosis, the other elements still exist. Uh So you are born with a pancreatic deficiency, which means that whenever you eat, you have to take medication to help you kind of absorb and digest the food. So I still have those issues um, because my dodgy pancreas is still there. But the lung issues aren't existing anymore. I think... I was fairly lucky that before my transplant, I was well for most of my childhood, so, and kind of young adulthood and 20s into London, so I was pretty, had a pretty low impact kind of CF, I had to do various things and take various tablets, but kind of the rest of the time gone with my life and not many people really kind of knew about it, so it was a pretty big change when I suddenly announced that I was getting my lungs chopped out and that... I was kind of in hospital for a pretty long amount of time. Um, So, yeah, it's a big shift. And I think with the food side of things, I was pretty lax beforehand. I because because you have to take medication when you eat at eight as CF patients, you quite often don't put on that much weight regardless of what you eat. So 
I could eat the same as my boyfriend and my dad and kind of not get fat, which was pretty dreamy, except for that it was because I was ill. Um, but because of that, it's it's a big shift. I, I would be the one that kind of occasionally would sneak the yogurt that was a bit out of date out of the fridge and be fine with it. And that is a definite no-go now. So yeah. um, I think it's just retraining yourself to kind of be sensible and think about stuff. And to an extent, that has to be kind of thought about the whole time. So when you eat out, it's a bit of a nightmare. And then when you're eating at home, just kind of modifying recipes and steps so that you're all okay with what you're eating. Mm. So, yeah. So I guess, obviously, you, you said to yourself you're quite a foodie pre um on transplant and kind of didn't you know uh go by cell weight anything like that it's well, how is how, you, you kind of briefly touched on there but how has life had to change now um post-transplant in terms of food so obviously you know i've been following your instagram for some time now um, yeah. and charlotte stumbled across it um so I, I see some of the stuff like there where you go through the rest um yeah. menus of certain restaurants and i know you post a lot but just for the people listening who may be haven't seen that and obviously we'll push out that at the end what, what does that mean yeah. for you so there's kind of two elements to the food limitation so there's the foods that you can't eat just as ingredients so things like no rare meat no blue cheese no runny eggs nothing that isn't pasteurized so no kind of buying from deli counters or kind of the more kind of interesting foods that you sometimes find in the supermarkets because most of them are kind of made in small batches and not blasted with heat or cold to make them kind of last six years or whatever. So it's it means that in terms of ingredients, it's I shop a lot more at supermarkets and kind of buy the stuff that I probably would have turned my nose up a bit before because it's in a packet and has been pumped with chemicals, but actually as long as, as well as preserving it, that kind of keeps it safe for people who are immune suppressed. Um, but then it's also things like you have to wash fruit and veg before you cook with them or even if you're cooking with them. So when you go out, that can be quite difficult because obviously food in restaurants is prepped beforehand and in theory they probably wash everything, but you don't know if that's happened and you can't, they obviously don't cook the food fresh for you, so it a lot of the time is kind of reheated or finished when you're ready for it and so then that becomes risky um I guess also when you look at menus things like the main ingredients are listed but then it will turn up with like a pile of rocket on the top or something and I can't eat that if that hasn't been washed and so then it's a question of do I kind of chuck it off on the side and hope that it's all okay or do I send the whole thing back and ask for it without rocket so I think it's just lots of little things that are all kind of manageable to an extent but you just have to get used to it and I think that that was the biggest shock when I first had my transplant that there was no guidance out there and no one really to kind of be like you'll be okay don't worry about it and so it was just a big scary list of food I couldn't eat. Yeah, it'd be. I'd be keen to interested in, or to find out maybe a bit more about like what those ingredients uh, and obviously foods were. Yeah. So, so it's so things like unpasteurized milk and yogurt oh. because mm. they've got live bacteria in them. So when they're sterilized or pasteurized, they kind of become fine. But before that, it's the reason behind 
the the guidance is basically to try and avoid any, any unnecessarily food any unnecessary food poisoning mm-hmm. so it's it's a bit like being really really pregnant and following a really strict pregnancy diet but then adding some extra stuff on top of that so weird things that you wouldn't think about are things like no Mr Whippy ice cream because it's stored in those kind of big tanks and although it's kind of stored cold it's not it's not stored cold enough to necessarily kill all the bugs so whereas frozen hard ice cream out of the freezers all right the soft whip stuff that you get in the park when it's a nice sunny day like today is not so okay um and then things like 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 rice there's always the kind of slight debate as to whether you can reheat rice and whereas most people I think it's probably fine for the immune suppressed the reason behind that is that the bacteria continues to grow even when it's cold and it's it's in a small amount and so for most people they can kind of fight that off and get away with it but for the immune suppressed it's 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 just safest not to I think lots of it is about being extra safe and taking extra caution and there's obviously no guarantee that if you don't follow these rules and to be honest there are transplant patients who don't um that you're going to get ill my viewpoint on the situation is just that if you I've been given a second chance and so why would I risk it over a yeah. rare steak yeah no, that yeah it's, it's funny you, you said about the um the pregnancy thing there because it's very similar to the I guess guidelines for for pregnant women and actually yeah. the, the Mr Whippy things we've got a friend who's uh who's very near to giving birth actually she's her biggest bugbear is the Mr Whippy ice cream stuff she's uh she's it is a nightmare yeah we I was in the park this afternoon with my boyfriend and as we were walking home he had one and I didn't because I, I mean I could have had an ice lolly but it's just not the same is it I have to say I would choose a Solero over a Mr Whippy any day of the week I mean, yeah, you're wrong, but okay. Brett's <laughs> yeah. always got a uh, a controversial view. That's not that's not controversial. Mr. Whippies are just very overrated. They're just plain. Have you uh, ever had one with sherbet on, though? Uh, yeah, who gets a plain right. Mr. Whippy? You have a flake, yeah. you have a... Oh, right. Other than the flake does upgrade it, yes, but it's still plain. I would still choose a Solero. And, like, you can't beat a double peanut butter magnum. Ooh, hate peanut butter. But I could have I could have that technically as long as the packet was all okay. Then yeah, well, that, how about that how about a double caramel? An one? option. A what? Sorry. A, a double caramel one. Yeah, I could. You could go there. That's good. See, there we go. There we go. So this, yeah, so <laughs> it's right. I can explore all sorts of ice lollies that I've never explored before <laughs> this summer. Yeah. yeah, you've been forced into uh, exploring the smorgasbord of ice lollies. Exactly, um, and all the packeted fruit, packeted food aisles as well, and yeah. somewhere that I'm spending a whole lot more time. The yogurt aisle is my least favourite because, surprise, like you'd have thought yogurt would all be the same, but actually, when it is live yogurt, they hide that quite well, quite often. So I'm there. I'm the one in the yogurt aisle, hanging around, reading the small print, looking like a bit of a psycho. Mm. The, just, just out of interest. So obviously, you're avoiding a lot of live cultures. How how's mm-hmm. that, how how have you kind of coped with um, just kind of like general digestive health then? I mean, I guess obviously like the cystic fibrosis and stuff, um, yeah, and obviously issues. With, yeah, it complicates things as well. But how, how how have you kind of kind of coped with that? I think so. In comparison to how I was before, because I'm more healthy, my digestive health has been better. I think it does shift your diet, and I think when you first have 
your transplant, you're also on a load of medications, which are doing all sorts of things, do all sorts of things. Mm. So it's, I think when you first come out of surgery and make all these changes, you don't necessarily know what the hell's doing what. Um, I think I have probably, I, I wouldn't say my diet is completely immeasurably different to what it used to be. Um, I guess my body did take some adjusting to the the loss of some of these products. Um, but it was kind of doing that while it was doing a whole load of other adjusting too. So it was maybe less measured than it might be in other people who are immune suppressed who are possibly changing that when they're not changing other stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. So just just to step back a bit and just, yeah. I guess, the, the main reason you, you obviously said you avoid a lot of those foods and um, it's because the the risk of food poisoning. And I'm assuming... Yeah, that risk for someone who isn't immune suppressed doesn't exist in such a great capacity. But yeah, the, exactly. It's just the the risk is higher. Yeah, and then in terms of that advice, was that a you know I know you said there was somewhat limited advice, but was you provided that in hospital by dietitians, or was it you know kind of just a, a standard thing? Yeah. Uh, so, so for me, what I literally had a dietitian visit me on day two I think of post-transplant while I was still in an intensive care plugged into about 100 machines and definitely not thinking about what I was going to be eating anytime soon um they kind of try and drill it into you quite quickly and you're provided with kind of documentation which has the lists of the kind of no-go foods but also general advice pretty quickly and before you leave hospital you kind of almost I had almost like a pop quiz on what I could and couldn't eat I think they try and because they obviously within hospital can can control quite closely what you can and can't eat to an extent at least when you then leave obviously it's up to you and I think they try very hard while they have got you kind of pinned in hospital bed to teach you the pros and cons of it so that hopefully you continue with it afterwards I think the stress is really on for at least the first six months that you have to follow it or you really should follow it then it becomes a bit more kind of like you should follow it and you can you can occasionally break it in kind of controlled environments so I spent about the first three months of seeing dietitians moaning about the fact I was never going to be, be able to eat a rest steak again and they said you if after six months a year it's something that you still really really want to do then fine go to a butcher that's really reputable buy a really nice steak go home make sure everything's clean cook it yourself and kind of control it to the best of your ability I think they realize that the realities of life mean that you can't necessarily always follow all of the instructions it's just it's about risk limitation and like everything diet is a way of controlling that and they they can't make you do it and they can only kind of provide as much advice as they can and they do that through kind of various documents and various talks but then it's kind of up to you and when I first started talking about doing this book I had did have some kind of old school transplantees who had had transplants 15 20 years ago come back and say oh I eat anything I want why would you change your diet like you'll be fine and I guess possibly you would be but the risks are there and personally I don't see why you take them 
Yeah, I suppose is that it's just a case of hey, you know, that's I guess that is the guidelines that provided to you, and if if you want to go against them, you're kind of taking that on yeah, as your own exactly. risk. But and I, guess I guess as people, you, I, I was just gonna say as you as you said, you've been I guess given I guess a gift of a pair of lungs, so you you, you don't want to take that risk. Yeah, and I think other I take other risks. I guess to an extent, I live in London where. I guess there's more pollution and more people who might potentially pass on bugs and germs to me if I wanted to be completely or as risk averse as averse as I could be I'd probably move to I don't know the outer Hebrides and live not seeing anyone and just kind of anti anti virus and try and disinfect everything all the time and only eat the foods and I think then I'd go mental and there wouldn't have been any point me having my transplant because I wouldn't be living a normal life whereas the food is a way that I can easily carry on doing stuff that will help limit the risks, but also kind of get on with life and being healthy and enjoying things because I got the chance to do that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So the, the other thing I, I kind of wanted to, I just talked about briefly, and I think you just mentioned it there was the rare steak. So I think, I've, I, think so, I think maybe Charlotte said that you know, you can't have rare steaks. You pretty much said, I won't have steak again. <laughs> Is that correct? Or? Uh, at the moment, that's, well, yeah. At the moment, that's how I feel. My worry is that if I started breaking the rules and being flexible, then I might be tempted to do it lots. And I, I think that's unnecessary and an unnecessary risk. I'm not saying that possibly if one day I really want to after a year, after I've had a spell of good health, I might not think about it possibly, but um, I don't, for me, I don't want it to be a regular thing. I think having now lived within these limitations for a year, I've started to kind of realise that although they're there, like you can still eat a perfectly normal and nice diet. Like it's not as if actually whole food groups to an extent are cut out. Like I can still eat carbs and I can still eat lots of other things it's just modifying your behavior I think of it and I guess accepting that yeah some things are probably off the menu I think rare steak is possibly one that at some point in the future I might there's things I definitely wouldn't ever like blue cheese or runny eggs that I just think are generally kind of acknowledged as high risk for even normal people so um yeah are things that I will omit although still to know Christmas was a bit of a gutter mm. the, the runny egg thing's a funny thing because um my understanding is the risk of say salmonellas from the shell rather than undercooked eggs yeah not not so they not, reviewed sorry, they but, reviewed eggs didn't they about yeah. six months ago and put a big statement out saying that actually they were okay for lots of people and then people then like the people who advise on immune suppression, so transplant people and cancer people came out and said, we still don't think you guys should have it. Yeah, so sure. I think it's, it's a difficult one. I think these, these risks are small. It's just that they're accumulative as well. And I think when you're on immunosuppressive drug therapy, you're already kind of exposing yourself to a lot of risk just by living so yeah i was going to say like i'm not i'm not suggesting obviously like it's even worth the the, the risk that's in there anyway regardless but i'm mm. just just interested to see obviously what the thoughts were on that mm. 
And I think what what is sometimes difficult about it is that hasn't been loads and loads of studies on it. So there aren't necessarily kind of specific scientific evidence for each food group. And they, they can't necessarily say like, you're 20% more likely to get issues if you eat goat's cheese or whatever that hasn't been pasteurized. Mm. And to some extent, when I first started talking about the book, some people said that it's only a pseudoscience and like why would you be spreading these like why are you talking about these rules that aren't kind of scientifically proven I guess it's the fact that okay then there might not be loads of science behind them and it would be great if there was more so that you could maybe make more informed choices if you were going to not follow it 100% but actually until that happens it's just making that judgment call as to whether it's worth risking it at all yeah I totally agree that makes sense. So I guess the other thing with, you know, you kind of mentioned in the, the preamble was around the, so I guess stepping back a bit, now what can I use your, your Instagram handle? Is, and you've, yeah. you, you're launching a Kickstarter for a, uh, a Muse Press cookbook, is that right? Yeah, so, so yeah, about a couple of weeks ago we launched the campaign. Um, it's a cookbook basically that, yeah, follows all of the guidelines that are recommended to people who are immune suppressed. We're working with a dietitian team. So actually the dietitian team that I worked with at the hospital, I had my transplant out, so at Papworth. Um, they are kind of helping us provide all of the kind of preamble for the book, but also the premise of it isn't that I'm, I'm not creating all those recipes, I'm not a chef. I mean, I could probably vaguely create a couple, but they wouldn't be very exciting or very interesting. Um, so we're working with, about 80 at the moment, although possibly some more in the pipeline as well. Um, chefs from around the country, so kind of various names that people might have heard of, and then some restaurants as well, and then some food vans and some kind of foodie influencers from online. So they've all kind of agreed to create a recipe with the support of the dietitians at Papworth that will kind of follow these guidelines. Um, with the hope that the book will kind of be a pretty eclectic mix of a whole load of foods that will mean that anyone who's immune suppressed or anyone who is looking after or catering for or cooking for someone who's immune suppressed can kind of open it up and find something that they want to cook. So I didn't want it to be niche or all kind of one food style. I think there are some guidance out there for people who are having cancer treatment so the Royal Marsden has produced a cookbook but it's not it's a cookbook of like practicality it's a somewhat medical text of these are the foods that you can eat while you're going through chemo that will be easy to cook and bearable whereas the premise that I have for the book was that I wanted it to be something that you could live by for a long time so it's going to have stuff if you want to people around for dinner on a Tuesday night or it's going to have stuff if you want to have 15 people around on a Sunday for lunch type thing I think because without ease you can't cook from other cookbooks the idea would be that you could potentially just cook from this cookbook and not feel like your diet was really limited it's pretty cool so from what I can tell you know it's going to have a immune suppressed angle to it, but this is a, a cookbook for anyone who who just enjoys food as well, right? 
Yeah, and I think, so we're donating money from the proceeds raised during the Kickstarter and then also as long as we make the book um, going forward, like proportion of the proceeds will go to both Papworth where I had my transplant and then the Brompton in London where I have my kind of pre-transplant care for about 27 years um, throughout the kind of book's life. So actually, even if you're not immune suppressed, it's a really nice cookbook with loads of really nice recipes in and you're giving some money to charity and kind of helping, I guess, promote a cause as well I think it isn't something that's necessarily understood and I don't want it to be a big scary list of foods that you can't eat um I want it to be a nice way that you can kind of forget about potentially all the other rubbish going on in your life and any kind of illnesses that are the reason you are immune suppressed and actually just use it as a bit of an escape oh sounds good yeah no that's really cool and then I guess just, you know, I, I don't know how many listeners we would have that would uh, even fit into this bill, but I'm sure there may be a few. Um, you know, someone who who does become immune suppressed for whatever reason, um, yeah. is there any, like, advice you could, you know, you know within the realms, obviously, of, uh, I guess, what dietitians would say, but your, your take yeah. on it, um, any advice you could give those kind of people? I think, like... Just don't panic too much. I think when I first was had this list, it was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to be able to go out to a restaurant ever again or eat anything. And my friends are never going to want to have me around for dinner because I'm going to provide them with this list of all the stuff they can't, I can't eat and they're never going to be able to cook anything. And actually, once you get used to it, it becomes a lot less daunting. I think when you're going to restaurants, look at menus before you go. I never used to do that and I kind of never wanted to, but actually it's a pain in the ass if you go to a restaurant with your friends and you can't eat anything and they'd much rather that they picked another restaurant that you could eat something um and I think yeah just you have to plan a bit more that's the reality of it but actually it's it's perfectly possible to live and enjoy food on it just just yeah you just have to be a bit more sensible and a bit more Uh, ironically organized Ironically, it's exactly how we talk to our nutrition clients anyway, in terms of yeah. managing your diet and, and kind of watching calories. It's, things like eating out can be an absolute minefield for people. So obviously it's got kind of similar um, like synergies to that in that you, know, yeah. you tell people to, you know, if you, no one wants to be the type of dieter that can't go out for food. And obviously that's the same kind of experience I guess you're having. You don't want to be the, you know, obviously the person that can't go out for food with your friends because there's nothing on the menu you can't have. And people dieting have exactly the same connotations. And it's like, well, you know, just look before, eat, eat or plan around it in some way. And obviously in, in the context of dieting, it's usually kind of adjust calories elsewhere to allow for calories in that meal that you're going to have. But yeah, it's, it's funny how you kind of explained it like that because it just reminds me exactly what we would do when we're talking to people, so... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's just, I wasn't that person before I'd turn up and I'd open the menu and I'd say, yes, I can eat that. And actually, the first few times I went out with friends, I did that and it was all a bit of a nightmare. And I'd end up basically panicking and saying to, like, restaurant staff, having to explain to restaurant staff the whole situation. And, like, no waiter wants to know that I had a double lung transplant and, like, needs to see the scar. But actually, I was so panicked that, I'd go in there and say to them, oh, I can't have X, Y, and Z, or like, please exclude this, or can you wash this? And they'd just be like, here's another 28-year-old stupid girl asking for like everything to be omitted. And 
various substitutions put in and just like behind the scenes laugh about it and not necessarily do it because they were being malicious or that they wanted to harm just because there are so many people out there who yeah for reasons other than kind of medical have you you, you yeah so I think we've had a little rant about sometimes that. I think we've had a rant about that before one of the podcasts or certainly person person is there's a lot of self-diagnosed um I guess issues people come up mm. with at restaurants and it does um lead to issues for people with genuine medical concerns and the one that I've seen a lot of before is I guess celiacs where gluten-free become really trendy and all of a sudden restaurants weren't taking it as seriously um but you get all manner of allergies or kind of self-diagnosed stuff which I can imagine for the restaurants you leads to a dismissive nature but obviously with uh, actual medical issues it's a it's an actual concern yeah exactly and that's why I guess you hear occasionally about yeah when restaurants have by mistake sprinkled nuts or whatever over on the top of something because yeah they get used to so many you see occasionally or I've seen occasionally chefs posting their kind of like bookings for that evening it'll say stuff like vegetarian someone posted from the other day it said like vegetarian on a Tuesday and only likes eating vegetables that are green or orange and it's just like if people are literally seriously booking restaurants with those type of requests then the people who have got actual dietary needs have no bloody chance because they must just look at that and want to rip it up and ignore it all yeah so how how do you do you I mean obviously that in mind do you tell the restaurants before you go or do you just you know pick something off I've seen some of your menu analysis on Instagram which is quite cool but the I mean do you explain it when you get there or do you just kind of pre-shoot yeah I don't tend to say before I go because I think people get nervous and I think their general inclination would probably just be to say they couldn't cater for it or that they were nervous to cater for it and I don't want to not go places because of that I think I tend to go I look at the menu before I go when I get there, I, like I'm sense, I've got better at ordering and knowing what I can and can't eat, or what's more likely to come as billed and safe than than something that like looks okay, but actually you're not really sure what it is, and it might come completely differently to how you expect. And then I tend to tell the waiting staff that I've got a medical condition that means that various things are limited. Um, and then it's a case more of assessing when it arrives and if there's something I can't eat, then deciding whether to send it back or whether just to give it to someone else and kind of pick around stuff. I think, again, because it's not as if I'm necessarily going to eat these things and I'm not going to drop dead in, in the restaurant if I eat something that hasn't been washed. It's just more of a risk. So I might take that risk occasionally whereas I wouldn't take the risk on eating rare meat or eating raw fish so I think it's it's all kind of a, a balancing act and being able to kind of get on with life to an extent and also just being realistic that yeah if you're going out to a restaurant you are taking more risk than if you're at home eating on your own where you've done the cooking and you know with that what's going on but then it'd be pretty dull if everyone else was going out for meals all the time and I was just sat at home eating on my own. So I think I'd probably eat out less and have people around here more. But when I do go out, 
it's just yeah about being sensible and I think we go to places that we hope we can trust I wouldn't have a kebab on the way home from a night out whereas I might have done before occasionally um whereas so yeah we go to places where we feel like they will listen and that it's manageable for them to fulfill the requests Mm. you you mentioned obviously kind of like nights out how do you how what is your uh, approach to alcohol I drink um I don't drink cocktails anymore when I'm out again because the mixing ingredient is kind of left often kind of like pieces of and so I left kind of behind bars and used throughout the night possibly the next night and who knows how long after until they're done um I ask for my gin and tonic without a lime in which can be a bit rubbish but just because all of those things kind of tend to sit behind the bars um there's no when I have my transplant and I know this varies somewhat actually more in different countries so in America they're advised a lot more against alcohol in England or at the transplant center I have my transplant at least I was told that I could drink as long as it followed the food safety guidelines. So, I yeah, my mum sent me some wine into the hospital pretty quickly to toast my transplant. And on day 14, when I was discharged, we definitely had some champagne. Um, and, yeah, I think I don't drink to excess that often, occasionally by mistake, but I think... The main concern, I guess, for me with drinking would be that if I got really drunk and was sick, then the tablets I take, so the immune suppressants, which I have to take religiously and at kind of set times, might not work or might end up in the toilet, in which case that wouldn't be a good. But I think I go out, I drink, and I think the reason it was really important to me to do to, or is important for me to do things like that is I have my transplant so that I could live a normal life as much as possible and I think part of that at our age is going out and having a drink every now and again. Cool. That's good. Um, so just I guess the, we've talked about it briefly and the cookbook and stuff but how did the so I don't know Britt if you've seen the Instagram but how did the Instagram come about in terms of um, you know, it's quite a cool, it's got quite a big following. Um, some of the menu walkthroughs you do are quite similar to some of the stuff we do in terms of <laughs> we look at it from a someone who's trying to lose weight perspective. Obviously, you're looking at from a medical perspective, but you know, they're, they're I can imagine quite useful resources to people. How did you know the idea for it come about and how did it develop since you initially started yeah. it? So I think when I started it, it literally was like a load of pet photos I had on my phone about my specific journey. Um, I think the Instagram grew as the book idea grew. And I realised that there were other people who must be thinking the same as me. Um, and then I guess it kind of progressed as I started doing more. So the recipe breakdown, the menu breakdowns from kind of various places kind of came about when I started realising how many things there were on a menu that I couldn't eat because I went to try and eat them. Um, and I think because so many people are unaware of it, I didn't want, it, it isn't a criticism at all of the restaurants and loads of restaurants are amazingly helpful at kind of trying to cater for you and 
like helping you out at looking at the menu and kind of feeling your way around it but it was just a highlight how many things someone who's immune suppressed has to think about and so the way I do it is it's a color coding system so red are things that you definitely can't eat and then orange are things that not necessarily you have to avoid completely but you just have to think about or possibly ask about or possibly kind of consider before you order them um and actually yeah quite often when I do them the majority of the menu ends up pretty orange um just because it's yeah just the amount of things you have to consider or ask to be slightly amended is big um just because when you eat out the majority of it is that you need to wash stuff before it's cooked with so that's the assumption is made that they should be doing that anyway but I think I would always kind of reiterate when I go out to eat that that does actually need to happen cool and as a, I guess as a result of that have you got like a, a favorite local restaurant or a chain of restaurants or anything like that you you tend to go to that are particularly accommodating or is it just you know where you there's, can see there's I, I tend to try and not limit myself there have been some restaurants who have been really supportive right from the beginning who are kind of involved in the book and have kind of been very keen to kind of buy into it and learn so Leon and Honey and Co were both kind of really receptive right from the beginning and interested and engaged um and then so some kind of smaller smaller people who are also contributing to the book I think have yeah just I think what's nice for me is when when restaurants don't necessarily realize either I think they obviously legally now have to have all their kind of allergy advice and stuff available and they all have kind of printouts on what exactly is in stuff but it doesn't necessarily correlate to allergies which then makes it makes it less definable for the staff and stuff so it's what I really like and it's really kind of satisfying is when I put a restaurant breakdown up and the restaurants PR team or social media whoever come back and say like this is really interesting like we're passing this on or like comment and say like thank you and like we'll try and help whenever we can come in I think I was a bit worried when I first started doing them that they thought I might I was just slagging them off and um that what well, that wasn't the aim at all they're still most of them are places that I still kind of eat out and in and enjoy but it was just kind of trying to raise awareness cool sounds good so uh, I guess we've, we've got a fair few listeners if they want to find out um more about you and I guess more about the, the cookbook is the easiest way to find you through your Instagram yeah probably so the I'm the handle for Instagram and Twitter is the same but I'm not very good at Twitter so probably <laughs> it's, it's my Twitter is basically just my Instagram feed and then reposts at the moment of some random people who are supporting the book um but yeah, it, basically on my Instagram, so the at now what can I eat is where I post most of the time. On there, there's a link to the Kickstarter. Or actually, we discovered today you can actually just Google now what can I eat. And at the moment, the Kickstarter comes out at the top, which is some good SEO from who knows who. But um, yeah, so there's lots of information there. I've done a bit of pouring myself out to the media recently. So there's some some dodgy articles banging around from um, in various publications that kind of talk about it a bit more and all of them hopefully link back to the Kickstarter where there's kind of all sorts of information about 
some of the people involved and the reasons behind it and the ways that people can kind of pledge to get involved and the longer term plan in terms of when the book might actually come out if we reach the funding. Yeah, that's cool. Cool. Well, um, have you got anything else you want to, is there anything we've got to not really cover that you want to cover? I don't think so. I think you've been pretty thorough. Um, but no, thank you for allowing me to wax lyrical about it. I feel like, I feel like from my perspective, I want people to realise that actually it's, it's a great cookbook. And even if you're not means pressed, it's, it should be a nice creation that gives back to charity, but that actually for for those who are immune suppressed it would be a really useful resource that just doesn't exist and with a kind of support of enough people we can create something that hopefully doesn't necessarily need to be updated that often so it could be a lasting kind of useful tool for people going through this stuff whether it's that they have to commit to the diet kind of forever because they've had a transplant or whether it's just that they're limited to it while they're going through treatment for a short time I think the first few months at least for me were the most daunting and actually also the time when I was probably going through the most other stuff as well and it would would have been really nice to have just kind of something that I could easily use and kind of have as a bit of an escape mm. but also have as a kind of certified by dietitians all okay you can use this and you'll be fine yeah I, I was going to reiterate just to say like obviously the cookbook itself is um no, you don't have to be immune suppressant just to obviously use it. It's, it sounds like it's going no. to have sort of quite a cool, eclectic mix of recipes and, and meal ideas and stuff. So uh, for that, it's, like, it's, it's well worth probably getting just to have some, some really cool different ideas. Absolutely. And I think if you pledge for the Kickstarter, you get it before anyone else, which is quite cool. And you can also get your name in it so that you can show people your name in a cookbook. Which... So, yeah, I think... It means, yeah, it's, it'll be a really nice cookbook. There obviously will, won't be any rare steaks in it. But <laughs> other than other than that, I would hope that no one's going to open it and think, Christ, there's loads of things missing here. Um, there won't be a chapter on eggs or anything like that. But actually, I don't know how many times you need a chapter of eggs in a cookbook. Yeah. Um, I think Jamie Oliver's got that covered, so... Yeah. I think, yeah, it should be a really nice cookbook that anyone can use, but that is really useful for the people who are immune suppressed. Oh, that's cool. Well, to be honest, hearing your story is amazing. So, um, obviously, and hearing you talk about kind of not taking the, the, the second opportunity, as you put it, for granted is, is also amazing. So, um, thank you ever so much for coming on and obviously letting obviously the guys hear it. Um, Matt, have you got anything you want to add, mate? No, I don't think so. The only, the only question I had is obviously I've... Uh, I think I've already pledged, so I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting it, getting fully yeah, funded. But I think you're getting a T-shirt or an apron or something as well, aren't you? So uh, uh, yes. you can post something. all your pictures in your gear. <laughs> something along those lines. So is there any, uh, <laughs> is there any uh, secret chefs you can spill the beans on, or are they got, all top we're secret? Working on some, we're working on some quite cool people. Um, the publisher I'm working with actually produces lots of regional cookbooks, so has some has some good contacts so the hope is that we are having some good discussions with some of the kind of top bigger names um although so the people we've got at the moment are great um but yeah we're, we're working on getting some more people involved and the hope would be that if we shout about it enough and make enough noise about it they'll feel too bad not to be involved so they'll have to commit 
Well, if you if you look at my Instagram, you'll see I do like to make the odd decent recipe. So if you want me involved, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm pretty cheap. I if we get short, we'll um, call you in. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, thank you. I, I think that's I think that's it for me, Rizzo. Unless there's, there's no, anything else for anyone, but no, no, I really cool. enjoyed that podcast. So we'll we'll um, people will make sure we obviously post your um, oh. socials and handles in the show notes, and obviously links yeah. uh, for anyone that wants to pledge. Um, uh-huh. no, it is a really really good cause, and, and obviously you know a really cool cookbook by the sounds of it. So uh, look forward to it. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely well, I hope do. It wasn't too boring, and that you can cut something out of that that isn't. Dreadfully dark. <laughs> no, no, that's no, that's brilliant. No, I, no, I was gonna say I'll definitely be pledging. So I'll uh, make sure it you is. send 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 the let's say if you can send the links through, and we'll we'll get them all in, get people on it. But cool, no, brilliant, I'll, will do. Thank you very much. No, no problem. Right, I'm sorry yeah, about the technical issues at the beginning. No, it happens. It happens. <laughs> all right then. Cheers. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Bye. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.